We have so much to be thankful for. And we who are followers of Christ know that even more. Because we know that all that we have is from the hand of God, all the good things that we have. James reminds us in James chapter 1 and verse 17 that every good and every perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to turning. We know the goodness of God. We know that He is a giver, and that's a wonderful blessing for us. We try to teach our children to be thankful. And we try to remember that great teaching that Paul gave in a very short verse near the end of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5 when he simply said to be thankful in all circumstances. He didn't say to be thankful for all circumstances, but to be thankful in all circumstances. There's something that we can find to be thankful for in everything. It may be difficult. It may be hard to find, but there is something. And sometimes we may feel like we have to, to stretch a little bit to, uh, to offer thanks or to at least word it in such a way that shows real thanksgiving. I reminded of a family a few years ago, the Taylor family, who was writing a family history, wanted to have a family history written anyway. And they were proud of most of their family tree. They had family members, family members who had actually come over on the Mayflower. And then throughout the years, they had had family members who were members of Congress, who had been entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs. They had some sports stars. They had some movie stars. And they wanted to have their family tree written out for their children and grandchildren to have a record, a written record. But the problem was great-uncle Jefferson Taylor. He was, to say the very least, the black sheep of the family. In fact, he was such a reprobate, he had been executed by an electric chair. But they wanted to have a complete picture of the family tree. And so they hired a professional writer, and that person said, I can, I can take care of that. So this book finally came out for the children and the grandchildren, and part of it read this way. Great Uncle Jefferson Taylor occupied a chair, a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution. He was attached to his position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as a great shock. Now, that's a great attempt at being thankful in everything. But this morning, I want us to go back to that text that we looked at a few moments ago, Psalm 65. All of the things we're going to think about for the next few moments are found in that psalm. We're going to think simply this morning about why to be thankful. We live in a time where we expect so much and we demand so much that sometimes we fail to be thankful. And I'm thankful for the holiday that's, that's upcoming. This is my favorite holiday that's just a few days away now. I told Leah this morning that I wanted to preach this sermon this morning because this is my favorite Sunday of the year, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. For some reason, I always just look forward to this particular Sunday. We don't know when in the life of David that he wrote this poem, at least how old he was or what season of life he was in. But if you read through Psalm 65, and I know we only read eight verses together this morning, but if you read all 13 verses, you would notice that the latter two-thirds or so of the poem deal with things such as harvest and God taking care of that part of creation. We'll get to that in a few minutes. And so scholars suggest that David probably wrote this psalm either at a harvest time or reflecting back on a harvest time. And probably because of that, Jews for years have used at least part of this psalm with some of their feasts, not in an official way, but because it reminds them so much of the goodness of God 
at that time of year that they use it to remember how good God has been. And in this psalm, David praises God and thanks God for a lot of things. But I want us to think this morning about four. And there are four things that we need to continue to be thankful to God for even all these years later. They may be simple things as far as stating them, but they're things that sometimes we can overlook in giving gratitude to God. And so I hope you'll notice them with me this morning and think about why we can be thankful. Number one, God is to be thanked for listening. In verse 2 of the psalm, Psalm 65, David simply states that God is the one who hears prayer or hears prayers. I don't know about you, but sometimes when, when I pray, I'm thankful to God for everything except for the simple fact that God is hearing that prayer. Sometimes I fail to express that in my prayers, especially my private prayers. We need to be great, grateful that the very creator of the universe is willing to hear us. That the very creator of the universe is willing to allow us to speak to him openly. And sometimes we, we pray to God and we only thank him when he says yes to what we request or ask for. In fact, sometimes we even talk that way. that We, we say, well, I got what I asked for, so God answered that prayer. Folks, we'd be thankful that God answers every one of our prayers. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait a while. Sometimes God says I'm going to give you something different. Sometimes God just says that's not what's best. And sometimes, yes, God does say yes to what we pray for. But God hears and answers every prayer that we pray. And to help us remember that, a man named William Culbertson several years ago wrote a little sentence that I love. He said, keep praying, but remember that God's answers are wiser than your prayers. There's a great deal of wisdom in that little statement, isn't there? Keep praying, but remember that God's answers are wiser than your prayers. I want you to think about one of the greatest contrasts between Christianity and so many other religions. In most, if not all, other faiths, God or the gods is basically unapproachable. You must do something amazing in order to be heard. You must pray or do some other thing in order for to finally get the ear, if you please, of the gods. Or the, so you're not offending the god or the gods of that particular religion. And it's true that when we pray, we must be reverent. We must be respectful. But we need to remember that our God is a father who desires to hear from his children. He delights to hear from us. And it's a great contrast in that, that not offending the gods kind of concept with Hebrews 4.16. Where we are told because of the great work of Christ that we can approach the throne of God boldly or with confidence, some translations have. Not in arrogance, but with confidence. Jesus said, when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew 6, verse 6. I need to ask myself sometimes, do I really believe that God will reward me? Maybe not in the way that I might expect, but that God will reward me when I pray with the right attitude. And when that prayer is within his will. Do I spend some significant amount of time in my life in communication with the Father? Do we, do we bring Him our worries, our frustrations, our fears, our victories, our defeats, our praise, and yes, our thanksgivings? Paul wrote that in everything, by prayer and supplication, with 
thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. We have a God who wants to hear, who desires to hear from His children. And for that, we should thank Him. Number two, we need to be thankful to God for forgiving. I love the beautiful language you see in Psalm 65 in verse 3, where David says that God atones for our transgressions. Now, you and I may not word it that way, but it's a clear and a very beautiful picture of what God does for us when He forgives us of our sins. The idea behind the word that's translated transgressions is the idea of a rebellion. You see, we know what God's way is, but yet we choose to go another path. We know what God would desire for us to do, but we choose something else. We know what God would want us to avoid, but to use this word, we rebel, and we do it anyway. But even when we choose to do that, our God is willing to forgive. And as David puts it here, God is willing to atone for those sins, or some translations have purged those sins. That's literally what the word means, by the way. The word could also be defined as to cover over. And that's a beautiful concept when you think about it in the time in which David wrote it, but also in the times in which we live. You see, when David wrote this psalm, that word atone or purge, to cover over, remember the times in which he lived, that people still had to bring sacrifices. The book of Hebrews reminds us year after year after year that people had to bring those sacrifices first in the tabernacle and then in the temple to the high priest. And God promised forgiveness to those who lived by His ways and made those sacrifices as God commanded. But those sins were never really taken away. While those under the Old Testament were thankful for that system, every time they made a sacrifice, they were reminded of those sins each and every year. And sometimes we talk about the fact that those sacrifices only rolled the sins forward to something greater. Hebrews 10 and verse 4 teaches us that the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of sprinkling of a heifer could never really take away sins. That Old Testament system simply rolled them forward to something greater. And so in Romans chapter 5 and verse 11, Paul writes of Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. But I love the way the King James puts it. Because that translation puts Romans 5.10 that we have now received not an atonement, we have received the atonement. If you please, we have received the covering over. All of our sins are atoned for, purged, taken away. We sometimes say they are rolled backward to the cross. That being the case, if they are, not, no, if they are no longer rolled forward, we don't have to worry about them ever again. That Christ made the sacrifice once and for all. He took away the sting. If you please, He took away the stench of sin. Back in the 14th century, Robert the Bruce of Scotland was leading his men in a battle to gain independence from England. And near the end of the conflicts, the British, of course, wanted to capture him to keep him from getting the, the Scottish crown and splitting the nation. And so they actually captured some of his own bloodhounds and put them on his trail. And one of his assistants realized what was going on, and they, the, the dogs became close enough that they could hear them in the distance. And his assistant said, we are done for. They're on your trail, and they'll reveal your hiding place. But Robert the Bruce replied, it is all right. And he had a plan that he headed through a small forest to a stream and plunged in the stream and came out on the other side and disappeared into a forest. And those bloodhounds stayed on the trail all the way 
until they came to the shores of the stream. And even though the British soldiers continued to to try to press the, the dogs onward, they could not go any farther. Because you see, the stream had taken the scent away. It had carried it to where it could not be followed any farther. Satan still tries to be like those dogs, still tries to run us down from time to time from sins that have been taken care of by the blood of Christ. We were reminded constantly and be thankful for the fact that, as one writer said, the purpose of the cross is to repair what is irreparable. The Christ's blood took away everything about our sins. Am I thankful for that? Do I thank God that we have received the atonement? The reconciliation. Number three, David writes that God can be thanked for bringing joy. After rehearsing those great traits of God, David just bursts forth in praise. Notice verse four. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. David, in that one verse, expresses joy in at least a couple of ways. The first is simply by excitement, if you want to think of it that way, because the verse begins with that little word, blessed. When we think of that word, we think of it in New Testament terms. In fact, we studied one of those Beatitudes just a couple of weeks ago, and we noted that when we think about that in Matthew 5 and elsewhere in the New Testament, the word blessed there just means something like to be spiritually fulfilled. But here in the Old Testament, when you see the word blessed, especially at the beginning of a verse, it's an interjection of excitement. David is almost shouting out this blessing to what is to come. You may find sort of a divine commentary on that in Psalm 16 and verse 11, where we're told, in your presence is fullness of joy. But David also expresses satisfaction. We will be satisfied. The word means to complete or to be filled up. And David is saying that those who are following God are filled with the goodness of God and with the holiness of the temple. If you want to think of it this way, David is basically saying that those who are filled up with God are filled up with him in here and out there, in everyday life as well as when they worship. In that day and time, the temple or the tabernacle, now when we come together as God's people in the church. Our God is a God who wants us to have joy. But this world robs us of that joy with very cheap substitutes. This world may give us happiness for a few moments, but following God is what brings real joy, a joy that cannot be explained, and a joy that cannot be compared. That's not to say that everything that happens in the life of a follower of God is pleasurable in the moment. We still suffer. We still have times of hardship and difficulty, but we see the bigger picture. Moses saw it, did he not? We're told in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25, that Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, or some translations have the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin has a pleasure attached to it. If it didn't, it wouldn't be tempting. But then the next verse of Hebrews 11 tells us that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to or toward the reward. There is great joy. We have a reward. We have a joy that can bring us through difficult times because we see the reward that's ahead, and that brings us joy. The Apostle Paul would put it this way, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Yes, we suffer. 
But we have something greater that is coming. But we also do have good things here. Again, all good and perfect gifts come from God. That doesn't just say eternal gifts. Every good gift, including the gifts that are here. Jesus said, I have come that I might have life. They might have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. John chapter 10 and verse 10. As a third century man was anticipating his death, he wrote a letter to one of his friends and included in that letter were these words. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world, but I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. Our God brings us joy. Do we thank him for the joys we experience in this life and thank him for the anticipation of the unequal joy that will be ours in heaven? And then in the last two-thirds or so of this psalm, David reminds us to be thankful to God for creating. One of my favorite songs begins with these very simple but very powerful words. For the beauty of the earth, for the beauty of the skies, for the love which from our birth over and around us lies, Lord of all, to thee we raise this, our sacrifice of praise. And from verse 5 all the way through the end of the psalm, verse 13, David simply bursts forth in praise to God for the creation. But he couches that praise and thanksgiving for all that God has done. Our God is the creator. That's never questioned in Scripture. In fact, you know that's how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And there is no logical way, other way, for all of this that we know and don't know to have come into being. And by the way, every year, despite what the media might want us to know and what many of our young people are being taught, not all of them, but some of them, more and more in the world of science are beginning to state that the theory of evolution just simply cannot be true. And they're leaving that theory. They may not go back to the God of Genesis. They may not go back to the God of the Bible. But many upon many are beginning to say that someone, a mind, a higher being, had to be behind all that is in the universe. But what David is giving in this psalm is something more than just some scientific statement of fact. David states some very specific parts of the natural world that would have meant so much to him, and especially at his time, an agricultural society. From verse 5 all the way to the end of the psalm, he writes about how the Lord brings about things like water for the crops that are grown. And how it's because of God that there is a harvest or a bounty every year. David is thankful to God for something that far too many take for granted. And that is simply the natural process of seasons and rain and weather. But it's also a reminder of the goodness and the trustworthy nature of God. You remember all the way back when Noah came off the ark. God made that great promise. You remember the rainbow. But part of that promise was found in Genesis 8.20 where God said, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Of course, then we read in chapter 9 that God put that rainbow in the sky as a sign of that covenant. But the key for our thoughts are two phrases in that. Seed time, harvest, and cold, heat. God was promising 
that while there may still be times in this world where there's famine in certain parts of the world, that the earth is still going to rotate. People are still going to have what they need to eat over the course of time. And every time the earth spins, every time we go around the sun and have a few seasons, we should be thankful that God has given us that ability. Every time you go to the grocery store and buy simple foods, or every time you go to a garden or a farm and pluck a simple food, be thankful to God because He has made that possible. God continues to have control even over nature. Every time we eat, we need to be reminded of that simple but powerful fact fact that God is to be thanked for creating. I think this psalm, Psalm 65, is a good primer, a good thought starter for Thanksgiving because it reminds us of blessings of God that are both physical and spiritual. And it again reminds us of that great New Testament statement that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. I had to ask myself, am I thankful to God for everything that I have? We live in a world, though, many times that seems to train us to complain, that seems to train us almost to to whine when things are not just like we might want them to be. I wish I know who wrote this poem, but I've never been able to run down the author's name, but it's beautiful. And I want you to listen carefully to it. The, the, The language is a little old, a little outdated, but I think it makes the point very well. Today upon a bus, I saw a lovely woman with golden hair. I envied her. She seemed so happy, and how I wished I were so fair. When suddenly she rose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one foot and wore a crutch, but as she passed, a smile. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two feet. The world is mine. And when I stopped to buy some sweets, the lad who served me had such charm. He seemed to radiate good cheer. His manner was so kind and warm. I said, it's nice to deal with you. Such courtesy I seldom find. He turned and said, oh, thank you, sir. And then I saw that he was blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. Then when walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped a moment. Then I said, why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word. And then I knew he could not hear. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears. The world is mine. With feet to take me where I'd go, with eyes to see the sunsets glow, with ears to hear what I would know, I am blessed indeed. The world is mine, O oh God. Forgive me when I whine. I chose for us to study Psalm 65 this morning because none of the things we talked about are all that deep. They're things that we recognize each and every day. God hearing our prayers, God granting us forgiveness, God bringing joy, giving us things to have joy about, and seeing God's creation around us. There's nothing all that deep about any one of them. But I remind us one more time, it is every good and perfect gift that comes from God. Not just the big ones, not just the ones that jump up and and surprise us. It's even the simple ones. And I pray that all of us will realize the need to simply say the words that are on the screen far more often. Thank you, Lord. He has given His Son to provide thanksgiving and provide forgiveness for us that we can be thankful for. 
This morning I want to ask, is there someone in this room who has never put Christ on in baptism, who needs to leave this room this morning with the greatest reason for which to be thankful? And that is that those sins are washed away through the waters of baptism where you contact the blood of Jesus Christ. But maybe this morning you haven't been living a life of real gratitude. And you want to respond this morning and say, you know what, it's not necessarily sin in my life, but it's, I need encouragement to see those things that God has placed in my life so I can be more grateful and help others be more grateful as well. Or maybe it is some sin in your life that you need to repent of and let's, let us pray with you and for you to give you encouragement and strength. There's no better time, nothing greater to be thankful for than the great forgiveness of God that you can receive if you will come as we, together we stand and as we sing.